How are you doing? Everyone doing well? Yeah. All right, why don't you look at your neighbor, give him a quick fist pump, just introduce yourself, say hello. There you go. All right, now go ahead and turn to the other person that you didn't come with. Give him a fist pump, welcome them, the person you're avoiding. Great, great. Hey, uh, I want to just clarify two things real quick before our session starts, and I introduce our, um, our special uh, speaker here for our, our session. I want to make sure you're in the right place. You are in the place of culture, creator, and carriers. If you're not looking for this, you're in the wrong place, or you're in the right place, and you're led of the Holy Spirit, and you just didn't know it, all right? Second thing, if you need to use the restroom, the lavatories, right over here, you can use it to my left. It does say children, which applies to all of you. All right, so there are no children here. You can feel free to use those there. Again, you are a uh, culture creator and creators. How many of this is your very first time at ARC? I just wanna see your hands real quick. Great, can we give them a round of applause and welcome you? Again, on behalf of Pastor Dino and the team here, we want to welcome you. We pray that you'll find your tribe, you'll connect with people, you'll build some synergy, swap numbers, emails, build some relationships, even when you leave here. Some of my closest friends have been established here at ARC. So again, we want to welcome you, challenge you with that. I want to introduce Terry Christ here in a minute. Uh, Terry Christ is actually a fifth generation pastor. Come on, somebody. You know it's Jesus when you go five generations. You know, five represents grace, so there you go. Uh, Pastor's a phenomenal church. Perhaps you've heard of it, Hillsong Phoenix. Uh, They're a little church with a little vision, and uh, they're doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. Uh, Just recently started there, not too long into the deal. Five campuses and two more campuses coming this year. Come on, Jesus. Loving it. He shared with me this, Hillsong College will be coming stateside, coming to Phoenix in 2019. So get the word out, let's help them, and uh, let's equip this generation with an incredible ministry, spirit, and model. Uh, The greatest thing that is all about uh, Terry here, he's been married for 35 years, three sons, three daughter-in-laws, and one grandchild. Love them and leave them, right? Welcome, Pastor Terry Christ. Thank you. Do I need this bag? It's the mystery bag. You open it at the end and it tells you how well you've done. Hey, it is great to be with you here today. I am uh, really looking forward to it, but I I just want to say one thing before I roll into this. Uh, I apparently, a few minutes ago, burst a blood vessel in my eye, and uh, so it looks really, really creepy. Uh, I'm okay with the sight of blood just not my own blood. So uh, I'm going to try to get through it this morning, but I borrowed a pair of glasses here, so I may have to actually use some glasses to uh, reference some notes. But uh, I've really looked forward to being with you here today. Uh, Last year, I was here at the ARC for my very first time and uh, was deeply touched and impacted by all that uh, ARC has to offer. And so I uh, just want to uh, say to you, you made the right choice in being here, and I think you know that. Uh, but even though it's early in the day, by the time we come to the end of the day and throughout tomorrow, uh, it'll only confirm to you that you have in fact chosen to be in the right place. This is uh, a quality environment, rich with resource, rich with relationships, and you'll leave my much better for it. Well, as you've heard, my name is Terry Christ, and I am one of uh, three Hillsong pastors without an Australian accent. And so uh, if you can get beyond that, we can make some progress here today. But uh, I want to talk for a little while about raising up cultural carriers. 
And I want to roll into it really softly because that I recognize that uh, I have so much to learn when it comes to this area. And there are so many right here at ARC that are further down the road when it comes to raising up cultural carriers or carriers of the culture. But since Hillsong Church is often known for having a unique and distinct culture, uh, I want to take some time to unpack that for you today. Uh, I want to take about 30 minutes I'll tell a little bit about my story and then share some practical ideas with you. But most importantly, I want to allow enough time to open up the floor for questions because I've attended enough conferences to realize that oftentimes the gold is in the room. And oftentimes the better answers are arrived at through the questions that are found present in your context. And most importantly, if it doesn't fit your context, something has been lost in translation. So, I, I may not know the answer to the question, but I'm pretty confident that somebody here in the room uh, will in fact have the answer. And so if I can't answer it uh, when the session is over, uh, I'm hopeful that someone near you uh, will strike up a conversation with you and then say, hey, here's what is working in our context and maybe you can find a way uh, to work that into uh, your environment. Now, I wanna skip the whole what culture is and why it matters part of the topic because my assumption is you already know those things and I don't want to get stuck there. So I want to focus on three things if you're taking notes. Number one, I want to talk about creating culture. Second, I want to talk about transferring culture. And then third, I want to talk about reproducing culture. And it may sound as if the second and third points are the same, but uh, they're very distinct realities, creating culture, transferring culture, and reproducing culture. If Hillsong Church is known for anything around the world, particularly by leaders, and I'm acutely aware of a couple of things. First of all, uh, in the face of so many unchurched people in the world today, our church isn't known by many people. And then within the context of those who are familiar with Hillsong Church, uh, most would know us for worship. Fewer would know us for conferences. Uh, Some would actually know that there's a church that has been the foundation for all of that. And then beyond that, many would come to know, particularly within leadership circles, our church is often known for its culture. You may not know how to define Hillsong culture, but you kind of know it when you see it. It it stands out in a way that is unique, in a way that is distinct, in a way that is identifiable. Pastor Brian often describes it this way. Our church, and I've got to talk about Hillsong Church because that's my context, but our church is youthful in spirit, generous at heart, faith-filled in confession, loving in nature, inclusive in expression. We do light and shade, which means that uh, looking at it, it may seem a bit manic. We can be laughing hysterically and then crying the following moment. And it, it may seem like we need to be on meds, but it's really a part of our culture. It's a part of the dynamics of our environment. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We are committed to raising up the next generation. We create, we innovate, and we take big risks. And we do all of that through a big, bright, positive, grateful spirit. 
And all of that has really come about through the intentionality of our senior pastors, pastors Brian and Bobby Houston. So whether we are outworking our culture through building church week in and week out, or through our worship, or through our college, or through the sisterhood, or any of our conferences, the outworking of our church is, is highly intentional, and it's extremely consistent. There we go, let there be light. And there was light. And I really think those two ideas are ideas worth unpacking. I want to talk about what it means to build it highly intentionally and then consistently. Because first of all, your culture has to be intentional. Pastor Brian often says, you don't fluke a good culture. In other words, you don't just stumble into it. You can't simply cut and paste it from somewhere else. And I would also say that a great culture doesn't happen naturally just because people love Jesus. You can love Jesus and really not understand how to build church. And ultimately, in loving Jesus, we want to love what Jesus loves, which means we want to build what Jesus is in the process of building. And it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come intuitively. It comes because you choose to be the architect and the builder of the kind of culture that you want to experience and enjoy. And I want to land there really strong, if I could. You have to do that. It's non-negotiable. When it comes to building the culture of your church, you have to see it with greater clarity than anybody else. When it comes to culture, you can't subcontract it out. You can't put it in the hands of a committee. You, you can't hire a consultant to do that. There are some things in, in church building, some things in church planning that you can farm out. You can farm out HR. You can farm out financial services. You can farm out creative graphic design. You can farm out a lot of things. But when it comes to culture, you have to have within you a deep kind of conviction about the kind of church that you want to build and the kind of church that you don't want to build. And nobody else can own that for you. You've got to own it yourself. In fact, I, I want to push the point a little further, and I want to say something. Second to knowing Jesus, second to knowing the basics of our faith, I think the most important thing you need to know about building church is what you want the culture to look like. You've got to see that. I understand the culture of our church. What I want to say is I understand the culture of our church better than I understand the book of Revelation, but that would be highly provocative and uh, maybe unnecessary. So I'll simply say, I understand the culture of our church better than I understand the book of Revelation. In other words, it's just got to be that deep. So that brings me to the question, what kind of church do you want to build? What kind of church do you want to build? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? In fact, here I think it's a good exercise. Would, would you just indulge me for a moment and close your eyes and think about the kind of church that you want to build? I just, I just want you to think for a moment of being an invisible person walking through your church on a really good Sunday. Whatever that Sunday is, maybe it's Easter, maybe it's Mother's Day, Maybe it's Groundhog Day. Whatever it is, imagine yourself walking through the halls of that church. Imagine people talking. Imagine the lobby being filled with people. Imagine the back rooms where the volunteers are gathering together, preparing to serve and minister. 
What would you want to hear? What would you want to sense? What do you want to feel? What do you want your people to express naturally and authentically and organically? Is it people laughing and talking? Kids having fun? People in small groups having heart-to-heart conversations? Worship that's vibrant and dynamic? Diverse ethnically and generationally? What, what do you want it to look like? Just think about that for a moment. Okay, now that, that feels pretty good, doesn't it? Feels good? Got a, got a picture of that? Um, the reason I'd say you need to do that invisibly is because of something that's really, really important. And it's the fact that people often modify their behavior when pastors and leaders and their upline are around. And then they oftentimes express what they really believe when you're not in the room. It kind of brings us back to reality. So what that means is that no one can visualize the culture like you. No one can architect the culture like you. No one can steward the culture like you. And frankly, if you are a pastor, a lead pastor uh, here, a planter, a senior pastor, uh, maybe even a campus pastor, no one can build the culture like you. And for everyone else in the room, we can participate in building the culture along with those who see the culture, architect the culture, and then communicate the culture effectively back to us. Now, the culture of our church is really the result of our pastors being super clear and unapologetic about what they value, about what they want our church to look like all over the planet, and they've been very intentional and consistent about building that over the course of decades. Here's my story. I first met Brian and Bobby in 1994. I was a church planner, planning a second church. I'd been raised in a pastor's home. And when I met Brian and Bobby, I encountered a picture of a church culture that was radically different from the one that I was raised in. I was raised in a church culture where that ministry was something one embraced somewhat reluctantly. Know what I mean by that? Churches where Jonah is the role model, not necessarily Jesus. And everyone runs from the call of God until God finally breaks them down, and then they spend the rest of their life miserable and begrudging it. And and those were the models of ministry in my childhood. When I met Brian and Bobby, uh, I saw people who embraced ministry joyfully, who loved people passionately, who didn't serve people as a means to an end, but people who were really committed to empowering the lives of those they were serving. People who were committed to owning their moment, but at the same time also providing a platform for the next generation to emerge today so that they can lead with longevity. I saw people fun, irreverent, but very, very serious about what they believed. People who had the culture crystallized, clarified. And and I would say 26 years later, Brian and Bobby have certainly grown as leaders, and our church culture has grown in the 26 years that, that I've been connected with it to some degree or another, but the foundations are the same. Brian and Bobby are still who they were 26 years ago, and the foundations of our church are the same. They have been very intentional, and second, very consistent. Consistency is underrated. 
I, I think if you're going to build a healthy culture over any length of time and across the breadth of your church, you've got to place consistency at a high level of priority in your life. We only have one single vision in our church that we outwork in every single aspect of our life. And we do it day in and we do it day out. We don't have one vision for youth and one vision for young adults and one vision for kids and one vision for missions. We have one single vision that we outwork through every single aspect of our church life. And we do it on Sunday mornings. We do it in midweeks. We do it from the stage to the back row, from the back row to the stage, from the center to the edge, from the edge to the center. One single vision consistently outworked all across the planet. And I think consistency really matters because it takes time to instill the quality of culture in the hearts and minds of people that you're called to lead. And to see that flourish when you're out of the room. I know a lot of churches, when it comes to the idea of culture, put a lot of energy into writing values and statements and, and then post them on a website or in a brochure or on a banner on the wall and then kind of let them become the backdrop. But consistency means incorporating them in illustrations, in conversations, in frequent applications, in every expression of your church life. It means keeping it front and center. And the reality is, I believe in writing down the vision, writing down values, writing down mission statements, but writing those things down don't make them a part of our culture, do they? They really don't make them a part of our culture. In fact, your mission statement is not your culture. Your value statement is not your culture. Your actual culture is your behavior. And people follow the behavior of leaders to a greater degree than they follow our statements on our screens, our websites, and in our brochures. So we've got to be consistent about keeping the gaps closed in every level when it comes to culture. And that's one thing that people don't often realize about Hillsong Church. It's one of the often overlooked aspects of our church. We work to keep the gaps closed. The gaps between our values and our behavior, those gaps, we are committed to closing consistently and continually, and we do that in every way possible. Pastor Brian often puts it this way. He, if you're going to really see a culture thrive, you've got to be the culture. Be it. You can't build a culture unless you're prepared to be the culture. You're always going to build what you be for better or for worse. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But let me just simply say, at this present time, being the culture consistently is more important than describing the culture frequently. It's far more effective than dictating the culture. It's more powerful than mandating the culture. People will listen to your words, but they follow your spirit. So write it down, make it plain, but ultimately, don't write it down and make it plain and then feel that you've done the work. Doing the work is taking what you've written and becoming that, embodying that, so you live the reality of that out so people can follow that, not necessarily what you've written. And it's always easier for people to abide by what they embody. So here's a quick question I want to give you. Are there areas in your team that are operating with inconsistency when it comes to your culture? What does a gap look like in your culture? Is there a gap? 
Are you closing the gap? Are you working consistently to minimize the gap? Anytime there's a gap in business, that's called cultural discrepancy. And cultural discrepancies exist everywhere. How do you resolve cultural discrepancies? Here's the, here's the magic formula. Through personal conversations. If you take one thing away from this today, take that away. Problems are solved through conversations. Culture is created through conversations. You are probably only one conversation away from resolving something important that you need to resolve in the culture of your team. And when you go back home from our conference, I just want to encourage you, if you forget all of the great big teaching points, remember one thing, that a good conversation in a problem area can change it, and that area can go from barrenness to flourishing through something as simple as a conversation. We build Hillsong Church on conversations. Thousands of conversations. It's not the big preaching that builds our church, although it certainly contributes to it, but it's the conversations over coffee. It's the conversations in connect groups. It's the conversations with with friends. It's the conversations up and down and all around. It is through conversation. And sometimes that can feel a bit, you know, overwhelming. I was talking to a pastor here today, and he's launched a brand new campus, and he said, you know, uh, it's going okay, but he said, I realized one thing early, and that is the fact I'm going to have to turn the leaders into a small group, and I thought they were further along, and they could just take it and run with it. And I I said to him, I said, isn't it interesting how we often assume that, and we probably never should. We should never think that I'm going to get beyond the small group into something beyond that. I think maybe the small group uh, uh, complexion should change. Maybe different people should cycle in and out of that. But conversations aren't something that we should seek to get beyond so that we can build more effectively when conversations are, in fact, the most effective way to building church. Conversations change situations. I've often said, don't create a sermon series to resolve what a conversation can fix. Because we've all done that, haven't we? I've done that a lot of times. And the unfortunate reality is, is that people don't always connect the dots between our sermon series and their personal realities. Because people hear sermons for other people, not necessarily for themselves. In fact, as I'm talking, you're thinking of other people who really need to hear something I've already said, and I'm thinking of other people I need to tell this to. So that's just the nature of how we hear data and respond to it. But a conversation makes it personal. Conversation makes it applicable. And so that's, that's how we build. We build through conversation. So with those two big ideas in place, let me now quickly get into a couple of points I want to make, and then we'll take some questions. Once you define your culture, once you make the decision to intentionally and consistently live out the reality of the culture, how do you get other people to buy into your culture and become a carrier of it? And just for the sake of definition, a culture carrier is somebody who has bought into the vision is in the process of becoming the culture and can represent it and communicate it to others. And that's a process because the culture of our church is evolving. It's ever-changing and changing still. We're not looking for people who have mastered the culture before they can communicate the culture. We're just looking for people who are open-hearted and are in the process of receiving the culture and becoming the culture so they can communicate it. So that becomes very dynamic. 
In other words, it's not getting people in a room and indoctrinating them to the degree that you now feel confident in turning them loose upon a community. It's having an ongoing conversation with them that says, okay, I've got just enough into you and you've just got far enough along that now we can do this together. So I'm gonna bring you on the journey with me and I'm gonna keep pouring into you as you continue to pour into the lives of other people. It's a process of becoming. So how do you get people into that? How, how do you get them into that kind of reality? How do they become culture carriers or others might call it brand ambassadors? couple of ways. Number one, and I've already touched on it, you have to model it for them. Jesus spent a minute calling his disciples and three years cultivating the culture of his team by consistently modeling what he wanted for them. And that means letting people into your life. It means opening up your home. It means letting them see how you, you raise your kids, how you handle frustration, how you respond to adversity is really about opening your life up so people can see how you live, love, lead, respond, and react. That becomes the model for their leadership. And that's key for us because Hillsong Church is highly relational. So we transfer our culture person to person, as I've said, every single day. And the culture is not simply taught, it is caught. Now, we can describe it to the best of our ability, but the spirit of our house sets the tone and culture for the house. And people have to catch that, which is why I often say that in our world, you'll succeed if you have a higher EQ than you do IQ. Yeah. Now, IQ really matters, so I don't want to diminish that. But you know what I mean? Your, your ability to read, your ability to, to interpret, your ability to, to uh, respond emotionally and, and to understand the dynamics involved in relationships, the unwritten rules of culture, that matters more than even your intellect. And that's about modeling. How do you model culture? Well, you model, model culture by what you celebrate. You model it by what you discuss, what you give attention to, what you ignore, what you resource, what you complain about. All those things reveal the culture that you really, really believe in. And as you live it out, people see it and embody it and reflect it. Number two, teach it. Teach it. Now, I think you need to model it first and teach it second. Because it's my personal conviction that if you teach it first, then oftentimes, especially for preachers and teachers, the temptation is to say it and then settle it and never go on to model it. So it's a good exercise to model it first and then say, hey, do you see what we've been doing for some time? Do you see how I've been responding, how I've been leading, what we've been celebrating? Do you, do you see the common thread here? That's culture. That's the atmosphere. Did you see how we gradually change the lighting in the room, so to speak, instead of just flipping a light switch and announcing it to everyone? We slowly change that, and now the environment looks completely different. And I'm going to describe to you what we've already done, because we've done it enough and practiced it enough, and we've embedded it into our culture deep enough that you can see it and then replicate it for others. But ultimately, you do have to teach it. Got to explain the why, because if you have a why, it makes the, why, the matter, uh, pardon me, if you have a why, it makes the what matter. Makes the what matter. 
Now, that may not be a universal why, may not be an absolute why, it may only be your personal why. But it's, it's at least better to have a personal why than no why. It's better to say, we don't do that because I don't like that. Then to say, we don't do it, and I'm not really sure why we don't do it. At least own the why behind the what. I think we all know the, most seven, the seven most powerful words you'll ever hear. That's how we do it around here. But that should be followed up with, and here's why. Those seven words are powerful, but those ten words are more powerful. That's how we do it around here, and here's why. Or... The eight liberating words, that's not how we do it around here. And three more, and here's why. Let me give you an example. One of the things that we do in our church, and and I understand there are different philosophies. Ours isn't better, it's just ours. But we have a philosophy where that we don't let people into our services before that we start uh, the service. So we'll open the doors about 15 minutes before service begins. But until then, we hold people out in the lobbies. And we do that for a reason. Uh, We do that not because we're scraping gum off the seats at the last minute, although in some of our rented venues that could be the case. We may be mopping up beer in some of our venues, but uh, we do it for another reason. We do it because that we know what kind of atmosphere it creates for us when we open the doors and people come running in and we set out fewer chairs than what we actually need and then at the last minute we are putting more chairs up intentionally so that people feel that sense of energy and atmosphere as opposed to what some churches do. You can sit wherever you want and you can land a 747 between the people wherever they're sitting and that's all right, that's okay. But we do it differently and the why behind our what is because we know for us it creates excitement, it creates expectation, it creates a sense of atmosphere. Now, that also means it's gonna be messy, it's a lot of work, and a lot of volunteers are gonna say, hey, with a little forethought, we could actually just put out enough chairs so that we don't have to do this. (laughs) And when you're running multiple services back to back to back, then what that means is you're setting out a baseline number of chairs, you're adding to that, and then people leave, and then you're taking out the chairs, shrinking the room again, we get that. But our why behind it is that for us, the trade-off is the atmosphere of expectation, faith, energy in the room. It's messy, and we do messy well because that's just who we are. We love messiness. So that's our deal. Now, there's a why behind the what. Another one for us, another example would be we don't pay musicians on our worship teams unless they have other roles on staff. And there's a why behind that. It's not that they're not worthy of, of making their livelihood through that. It's simply for us that we have a vision of raising up so many worship leaders and members who are a part of our worship teams that we could never put all of them on staff. And therefore, we want to create the kind of culture where that worship leaders are raised up in our house and then lead in other places. And so for us, there's a why behind the what. So I could go on with that. Our rostering on the weekend. At Hillsong Church, uh, we try to roster some uh, locations a month out, some locations a week out, but every single preaching leader on our team, every single platform leader on our team comes to every service with a message ready, with an offering ready, and being fully prepared to uh, communicate the announcements that morning. 
And then at the last minute, and the last minute, maybe five minutes before uh, you could get a tap on your shoulder, you're up next. And that could even happen in one of our conferences. Pastor Brian could come over and say, hey, you'll be preaching tonight. And uh, then you go home and change your underwear real quick and come back. And uh, you're ready to go in Jesus' name. And what does that do? That keeps us all ready, all listening to the Spirit, all leaning in, uh, not focused upon ourselves, not making it about us, making it about Jesus, making it about building the lives of other people. And that's our culture. There is a why behind the what. Now, when it comes to sharing the why, you don't have to over-explain it. I've given you as much information as we would give anybody who's even on our staff. You don't over-explain it and certainly don't have to apologize for it and you don't need to be defensive. But you onboard people by giving them some level of understanding and bringing them on the journey because when they get it personally, they can represent it effectively to others. Real quickly, number three, put some language around it. It's great to know what you value, but it's another way to articulate it in such a way that it becomes memorable and repeatable. You've got to language your culture intentionally. Language gives expression to your values, but language locates people who aren't a part of your culture. So that if you listen to them for a couple of minutes, you can locate them. And you can locate them for the, for the sake of helping them, mentoring them, discipling them, whatever, whatever term you prefer. Every culture has a language. It's a natural, organic vocab list common to your environment. And I would emphasize it's got to feel organic, not corporate. It's got to feel natural. People repeat the cultural language they resonate with. So in our world, clear is better than clever. You can be super clever, but if nobody can remember it, it's going to be very difficult to make it a part of your culture. The best lines, the most memorable lines, are the lines people feel, the lines people resonate with, and the lines that are so natural that they feel like they could have just thought it up themselves. Sometimes we work too hard to create really trendy language that doesn't then resonate with people. And tone's a big part of culture as well. Our church, welcome home. You belong here. Come as you are. We're, we're an inclusive church. That means some things to some people that it doesn't even mean to, to us, but we're welcoming, we're big-spirited, big-hearted, and we make room for everybody on the journey. Fourth thing, real quickly, is empower other people to share it. I think you've got to get the next generation of leaders modeling, teaching, and languaging the culture as quickly as you can. And what I'm going to say over the next minute or two may be the best takeaway for somebody. Because at some point, you've got to get your culture from being your culture to being our culture. Critical mass has to take over. And I love what Derek Sivers says. He says, the first follower always transforms a lone nut into a leader. In other words, a lone visionary is suspect. Two people believing the same vision is slightly interesting, but three people become a movement. So what you need to do, the most important thing you can do is to get other people sharing the language as quickly as you can. So it's not just the lead couple, it's not just them and us, it's other people representing your culture to the others that you're in the process of leading. So when others hear it, they then feel as if it's not just you, it's all of us. And that's where I think a lot of churches could take some ground. Get multiple cultural storytellers on your team. 
If it's just the lead couple, you can dismiss it and say that's their vision. But when others around them represent it, it becomes our vision, our culture. Find people who embody it and promote them, position them, profile them. Let them say it for you because others will follow them believing that your effectiveness has been expressed in raising them up. Number four, express your culture through your stories. I won't spend any time on that. Through film, print, media, pictures, words, whatever language is what you want to communicate in your culture. You don't have to simply use words. Sometimes pictures tell the story that words don't. Stories put flesh and bone on the culture of your house. Number five, here's big for us. Give honest and instant feedback. Honest and instant feedback. But make sure you have relational collateral in the bank. Because when you don't have relational collateral in the bank, instant and honest feedback can end up being harmful rather than helpful. So make sure you've really poured into it. Anytime that I've, I've given instant and honest feedback without having relational collateral in the bank, I often regret it. I'll tell a really bad story on myself here. It's just terrible. You're going to hate me after this. Um, we were working on our, with our, our worship teams and really taking some ground. And, and uh, we had a big night of worship people coming from all over, and we put a young team up that we wanted to give a go, wanted to give an opportunity, and uh, we'd worked with them on some areas for some time, so this wasn't new information. What so happened that I couldn't be there that evening. I had to be at a board meeting in another state, and so I asked our team, if they would, to give me a private link to the the, the uh, service. So I'm watching from another state what's happening on the stage, and I see one of our leaders that is just violating the culture consistently. And he's a great leader, great heart, just under the pressure of the moment. People do funny things. And so it was just completely out of, out of uh, accord with our culture. And so I said to the person in the booth who had provided me the private link, here's what I'd like you to do. Get in their headsets in the ear and really encourage him not to do that and tell him that I just want to encourage him not to do that. Well, I realized later that there's instant feedback and then there's really too instant feedback. <laughs> he got the message but it was definitely not the best way to communicate it. And I know it varies from culture to culture. There are people on our team that for them instant is like four or five days later. I'm the kind of guy that I want instant feedback the moment I walk off a stage, especially if I get, a, get up and do it over again. This recently I was preaching and I got a Bible story completely wrong, told it completely wrong. Nobody mentioned it to me. Later the team said we all knew it. I went off the stage and preached it wrong. I preached false doctrine three times on Sunday morning. Well, thankfully, it wasn't false doctrine, but it was like I had Moses in the lion's den or something just ridiculous. And then I kept perpetuating it throughout the day. And uh, so for me, I want instant feedback. Uh, I, I want it quick. But what I'm saying is you've got to address the things that keep your culture from thriving. You have to address the people that would change your culture for whatever reason. You, you've got to make sure that you address it, but make sure that you've got collateral in the bank. And, and to that, I would say, say it with love and kindness. And then move beyond it. Don't camp there. In fact, in our world... Uh, Here's, here's what I believe. In our world, I would forgive you of smoking crack quicker than I would forgive you of being unkind. Now, that's a bit of hyperbole, but I mean, kindness really matters. So if we're going to say something, we're going to say it in the 
best tone we possibly can and then move beyond it. And if we got to come back and say it again, we'll say it again in the best tone we possibly can and then move beyond it. And that's very much a part of our culture is that you can get instant and honest feedback and the very next second you're talking about sports. Don't camp there unless it's positive, then affirm it for days. And then I'm going to end with two more and we've got 20 minutes. Welcome the input that improves your culture. Welcome the input that improves your culture. Maybe some people on your team that can help improve your culture, let them. Welcome improvements to your culture. The secret for Coca-Cola is, uh, or the, the formula for Coca-Cola is a legendary secret. But I'm told that 85% of the recipe is non-negotiable, but there is 15% of it that changes from culture to culture, and the 15% of it is essentially irrelevant. You can taste the difference if you drink Coke in the U.S. or in Mexico or, or in the Middle East, but the basic formula remains the same. So you've got a basic culture that's non-negotiable, but there are some soft edges that people can contribute to. And there may even be refinement in your basic culture that people can help you with. So if they can improve upon it, welcome that. Which brings me to the final point, allow them to own it. You don't need credit for the culture, you just need to see the culture flourish. And when the culture really flourishes, you'll have people who feel as if they've originated it. It's flourishing because of them. And that's okay because this is not about protecting your IP. This is ultimately about onboarding people onto your culture regardless of how they get there. The thing that we're a part of is bigger than the part we play. And if people feel loved, valued, needed, heard, and included, they will carry your culture. Okay, I think I can break there. Questions in the room. I'm out of breath. <gasps> right up here at the front. Sure. Hi, uh, Eric Parton from Destin, Florida, Shoreline Church. I want to thank you for coming here. Thank you. My question is, um, what have you seen in your experience of leaders who maybe mistakenly undermine their own culture that they're trying to create? Uh, some things that, they have, that you've seen that they do. Something common. What, what have I seen people actually do? Yeah. Oh. Well, I think I want to affirm your point number one. And I think that's why uh, raising up cultural carriers is so important because it makes you accountable uh, to the culture as well. I, I think one thing I've seen consistently uh, in our culture, uh, Pastor Brian has one of our top 10 cultural responsibilities that we uh, subscribe to uh, across our leadership spectrum. And one of those is we do not get on the gossip train. We don't want to be the first to hear bad news, and uh, we're not going to contribute to that. And so people coming from other churches, as people do, want to tell you the stories of their pain elsewhere. And it's not that their pain doesn't matter, but their situation is not going to be helped by us helping them process that experience. We can help them better by showing them a new reality. So I think a lot of times that would be it, that leaders sometimes have a commitment to stay away from negative talk, and then it's just, you know, out of the, the pain in their own soul, the frustration in their own soul, negative talk becomes very, very natural. And I think if we dealt with the self-talk, it would be a lot easier to communicate in a way that's life-giving and positive. And I think that one small tweak would change a lot of leadership teams. Drop the negative talk. We know what's negative. We know what's broken. People come to church on the weekend. They know what's wrong. We're here to offer them hope. We're there to show them a positive alternative. But that's got to come from a clean 
sane and healthy and life-giving soul. So I think that would be one thing, is just be really clear about not allowing gossip and negative talk and hold yourself accountable to that. Right up here at the front. I know with Hillsong, everybody pretty much know your culture, so it's almost like people kind of maybe would, I would imagine, fall in line. But as a church plant, I know one of the things that uh, a lot of us are faced with is because it's new, people don't know the culture, and you get a lot of people that come from this traditional background or they come from that background or whatever, and you're trying to not necessarily push the culture but at least express it or, or show what it is. And when you get that uh, pushback, you know, what do you do then? Do you, you know, stay with it or do you... You know, how do you bridge that gap? Because obviously, you know, you got people who want hymns, you want people that want all this kind of stuff. Do you fight that or do you give in to that? Do you kind of barely do it or you give up on your culture? You know what I mean? I think that's what, you know, a lot of, when you got a church plant, people don't know what to expect. Sure. So it becomes a big challenge. Yeah, so I'd start with your, your, the last point there. You can't give up on your culture because you're not going to thrive in a church that you don't want to be a part of uh, as a pastor. And it becomes a duty. It becomes this, this, this unnecessary cross to, bury, uh, to bear, to carry. And uh, you, you can't do that. You, you won't last in that. So the culture has to be consistent with who you are, what you believe in, uh, what you value, what you appreciate. Uh, I would say to another point is that people do know our culture, but then they often presume that they know our culture. And sometimes, you know, the process of helping them unlearn is pretty extensive. Because uh, the hardest lesson to learn is a lesson you thought you already knew the answer to. So sometimes you've got to unlearn a lot before you can get to the baseline and begin learning. The beauty of, uh, and this is why I'm a serial church planner. Which, by the way, I don't, I don't even know when you stop being a church planner. Uh, I've been a church planner since day one and will be when I'm on a walker in my 90s. So uh, it's who you are. Uh, and I think the beauty of a church planning environment is you get the opportunity to write the script. You get the opportunity to say, here's how we do it here. Uh, this is, you know, how we worship here. This is how we experience Jesus here and encounter Jesus. And you get the right to present that in a positive way and be relentlessly positive. Be a determined optimist. You may not feel that way. It may not be a part of your family of origin, but you are determined to be optimistic because casting a big, bright, positive vision is far more compelling than describing what you don't like and what you don't want to be. So don't negotiate with culture. Find out what it is, what you believe in, who you are, and just communicate it. Say it, spray it, say it, spray it, say it, spray it, say it, spray it, and then you'll have to do it all over again. Um, what are some helpful tips on identifying people as they kind of come into your community or a newer church plan and saying, like, these are some people that we can see markers in their character, the personality that you could say, hey, I think this person's going to be a cultural carrier and really invest in those people or is it just kind of just spray it on everyone and see what sticks? Does that make sense? <laughs> Love that. It's like, you're in, you're in. Spray it on everyone and see if it sticks. Uh, yeah, I would do that because obviously, you know, you're communicating your culture through your announcements. You're communicating your culture through your worship, how you handle transitional moments on stage, what you, what you feature on church news. All of those things are, are communicating your culture. So you spray it at the broadest possible level. But to answer your question, I don't know if you identify cultural carriers as much as they identify themselves. 
And the way they identify themselves is by lean in. So what you do is you spray it at the biggest, broadest level and watch who leans into it. Watch whose ears uh, perk up. Watch who gets a smile. You see the brightness in their eyes. They'll come find you afterwards and say, God's been saying that to me. You know, it, it, it feels intuitive. It feels like they've come up with the idea themselves. You know, they've heard that in your, your voice and they're responding to it. And I think that's the best way. And sometimes it's in connect groups that you see the lean in. But the bottom line is lean in. Lean in is the indicator that they are going to carry the culture. Sure. Yes. Um, what would be your one suggestion to a guy that's been on staff for a year that the senior leader came and said, the culture that you've brought is what we want to change to, and in a year has given that person the ability to change the culture within the house? And so my input would be for the pastor, the senior pastor, or I'm not sure, kind of the senior pastor, with me being on staff for one year, has asked me to change the culture of the church and has right. given me that responsibility. Yeah, so that's, that's a weighty responsibility. And I think that, uh, for me, uh, that would start in a personal you know, relationship with him, um, helping him uh, through 360-degree leadership. You know, uh, If he's invited that, then I think that sets the stage. So I want to be real clear on that. He's invited it. So then, then it would be uh, helping him to embrace it personally because ultimately you're not going to be able to implement a culture that he doesn't fully embody. There is going to be a significant disconnect. And so uh, to you personally, you know, that's a weighty responsibility, but I wouldn't outpace him because if you outpace him, you're setting yourself up uh, for a lot of frustration and probably an unhealthy culture within the church. It begins with him embodying it. And so you walking alongside of him, he's invited that. And as he embodies that, and questions like, what, what is it that you see in the culture that I brought that you want to affirm? What is it that you see in the culture that I'm living out that you want to multiply and, 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 and replicate here? Helping him to identify those core things so it's not just, hey, man, people like you and, and your life giving and I want that for our church. But what does that actually look like? How can he embody that and how can you walk that out together? Had a hand up. Yep. First of all, thank you so much for being here and investing us. Really just oh, appreciate it. This, this was great. My honor. So good. So helpful. Um, I think for me, just to kind of give you a backstory, my, uh, my youth pastor who led me to the Lord when I, was, uh, when I was like 17 in Maryland planted a church in Florida. And I've got to come now be on staff with him. He's had a church plan for five years, and I just now came on staff as his associate pastor. And so now, I mean, he's been doing this church of, you know, five to 600 people, and he's the only man on staff. And he was the only pastor on staff. So now I'm on staff with him. And, you know, I've been in this man's home, kind of like what you were saying about how, you know, we have to bring people in and let them, let them see how we lead and how we respond and how we love. And I've seen how he does that, so I know his heart because he's like my father. But now I'm stepping into a church, and I'm young, you know, I'm 26, and I look like I'm 12. And so I'm, I'm stepping into this thing, and, um, you know, I, I so badly want to fight for his vision, but we, I've got people who have been a part of his church for five years that they don't have it. And so when I try to give them that vision and try to build that relationship, I kind of get this, this arm out of like, well, you've, you just came in here, and I know, by no means want to have the heart of like, oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, I went to Highlands College, and so I, I, I don't want to have that kind of attitude, but people are receiving it that way. And so I really want people to catch on to the vision, but also like, I feel like I don't get respected in the end. It's kind of like this really strange, you know, the new guy's coming in and who does he think he is kind of thing. And so and I, and I don't want that culture. 
And the question is, <laughs> I'm with you on the story. Please help me. <laughs> if, if I, or maybe if, awesome. maybe you know, maybe if I'm your associate pastor, what would you tell me? You know, and I, or what would, what, what advice would you have yeah. for me to make sure that I'm, you know, honoring my pastor, but also not hurting people in the process? Because I'm learning too, yeah. and so and I don't want to hurt people in the process. Sure. But we also have to have this culture, and so. So here's here's my advice for honoring your pastor. Honor your pastor. It's just something you do. It is just, it is a code of conduct that we live by as, as you would, and we, we just don't negotiate. We, 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 we have no space in our souls to become an Absalom, to, to grow church by dividing or splitting. That's just, we just don't do that. So, uh, you know, you settle that uh, and go from there. Uh, I think ultimately uh, your pastor would have a lot to do with that. I think you serve faithfully. People will see the fruitfulness of your serving them, and that becomes the basis for a conversation with them. Uh, and you may have to serve for a while before that they can actually see that. And if you put in the hard yards with them, uh, you can gain their heart. It's hard to gain a heart in a minute. But in doing the hard yards, you gain hearts. And when you gain hearts and win minds, uh, then you can share new ideas and people embrace it. At the same time, there's this idea that I have called passport passport, leadership passport, that just like you would have a passport to get into a, a new country, a new environment, or a country you've been to before, uh, we need passports to get into different areas of influence. And you can't issue your own passport, but your pastor can give you a passport. Uh, and you see it all through the New Testament, the issuance of passports. Take these letters, take this message, take this financial relief to Macedonia, and there is this credentializing, uh, this passport issuance that comes from people in leadership over us. And so I think your pastor could do a lot uh, to give you passport with people that don't recognize your 12-year-old street cred, uh, which, by the way, you're a really good-looking 12. Uh, you look 14. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> You've, you've aged, it's taking me so long to answer this question, you've aged before my eyes. Uh, but he can, he can go a long way toward that. Uh, but serve, serve faithfully and uh, doors will open. Okay, over here. Yes. I loved your analogy with Pepsi with the 85% and the 15% Coke. being... Yep. Coca-Cola. It's, it's all the same. It's all the same. For a healthy guy like you who drinks water, Haters it's all the hate. same. It's good. <laughs> but in the case of multi-site, <laughs> I'm sorry, we've it's lost. It's okay. The we're going to get there. In the case of multi-site, how do you determine a campus's culture, making sure it doesn't contradict the culture of? the church as a whole. Yeah, well, again, uh, I, I would make sure that you are really, really dialed into the senior pastor or the lead pastor. So here's what that would look like for us. Uh, in, in Phoenix, uh, Hillsong Church is a two years old in February. We've got five locations uh, in Hillsong, Phoenix, and uh, a flourishing community there. Our campuses look like the neighborhoods they're in. And so if you walk in uh, generationally, uh, ethnically, uh, you know, it's going to look like the neighborhood. So we've got uh, some of our locations are really, really young, you know, 
2,300 people on our downtown campus and the average age is like 21 uh, and super, super diverse. Our Scottsdale campus, about 2,000 people on there, super, super old and white. And uh, it's the people who live in the neighborhood. And so if a church isn't reaching the people in the neighborhood, there's no purpose for you being in the neighborhood. So ultimately, you're there and that's where that 15% would come in. It's not going to come in the sound or the tone or the core values of the house, but it could come in like do you meet in? So we have a cathedral, a 90-year-old cathedral downtown that we meet in. We have a 2,200-seat big box theater in, in Mesa that we meet in. We've got a 600-seat boutique auditorium uh, that looks like a resort in Scottsdale. Culture's different, but what's common is tone, heart, soul, content, values. That's what I mean by the 15% differential. You may be in a club in one place and a, a bright, you know, a community center in another, that's the 15%. But what holds them together is that when you're in any of them, it feels like your church. Uh, this, I, I had my bag stolen in London this past summer, and I was in six Apple stores in the course of 14 days. They all look different on the outside, but on the inside, same service, same products, same scanner system, you know, same data access points, all of that. So you've got to know what the 15% is. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm Christy. My husband and I pastor Skyline Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Awesome. And I'm just curious, what do you do? So our church is only 14 months old. Congratulations. So <laughs> Thank you. But what do you do um, in those moments early on of discouragement? You know, so like, how do you get your team to carry culture on those Sundays when it is a little smaller or the team was thin and there's only three of you tearing down or, you know, like what, how do you get them to carry culture when it's difficult? And how do you as a leader remain positive, but still real? Yeah. First of all, act your age and be comfortable with your stage. And, uh, and I know we all wanna be bigger, stronger, you know, better, I, I get that. That is the drive within us and that's a good thing. It's a godly thing that keeps us reaching. Uh, but at the same time, you know, your expectations of a 14-month-old child would be very different than your expectations for a 14-year-old child. And so I think it's, we gotta celebrate where people are. The truth is if you come into our church globally, uh, you're gonna see a big, broad range. You know, what you would see on our conference stages or on uh, Hillsong Channel, you know, that's, that doesn't reflect the full uh, breadth of our church, you know. Even in Australia, you know, we've got small campuses and, and brand new uh, uh, worship teams and, you know, sometimes we can't even sing our own songs. I mean, you know, and it's really bad when you jack up your own song, you know, and it's really bad when you go other places and they sing your songs better than you do. And then you're like, man, so... You know, but it's the journey. It's just the journey. How do you address it within your soul? I think we, we all have to do that consistently. And we heard this morning about not buying into comparisons, not allowing ourselves to feel undervalued based upon where other people are. Uh, and this, those are just things you work on consistently. But, but celebrate where you are because you'll never be 14 months again. You'll never have those same people uniquely, you know, combined in those teams. You'll never be at this stage before. Love it, embrace it, celebrate it, and you'll, you'll be in a different place at 28 months. You will, I promise you. Yeah, sure. 
Got it in. Um, I just have a question as as a potential church planner looking to step out and, and do this um, and being on staff at a church, one church with one lead pastor for many years and looking to create your a new culture, your own culture, um, when you're coming from a church that you... the most of the orthodoxy is the same, but the praxis might look a little bit different, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, how, how would you encourage a, a future church planner in creating culture, what that would look like as you're journaling and you're just dreaming with God? What would be some tips you would give? Know yourself. Know yourself. That is key. If you know who you are and, and how you're hardwired, then you're going to have a lot of insight into what God's calling you to do because what God's calling you to do is going to be consistent with the best of you. And that doesn't mean we all don't grow and improve, but know who you know who you are. And you may borrow some of the culture that you've been in because you've become that, but there may be other aspects that, you know, you're going to innovate that are not that. How do you find that out? I think you find that out uh, by knowing yourself by having friends uh, around you who help you to know yourself better and speak into you. And as you then begin to uh, define the culture that you want to be a part of, just make sure it's consistent with what God's put on the inside of you. It's something you come to in prayer and in a personal relationship with God as you kind of process your calling. Yeah. Guys, you have been amazing. And this has been an awesome, awesome experience. Thank you. Thank you.